Hello, I'm Wayne Park, and welcome to Oikonomics, a podcast about the science of ministry, work, administration, and the summing up of everything. Keep coming back for relevant teachings and talks on these subjects and more. Please enjoy the show. So we're continuing our discussions through Mark Labberton's Called for this SF506 class, Vocational Formation in Seminary. And I established in the last episode the two primary calls to every believer. And those calls are the first, the call to be the beloved, and second, the call to follow. Today what I'm going to do is expound more on this second call to follow Christ and also to talk a little bit about the specificity of secondary callings thereafter. Uh, Once again, the primary calls to belong to Christ, to be the beloved, and then after that to follow Christ. And then everything comes secondary to that. After all, Labberton says on page 45, The vocation of every Christian is to live as a follower of Jesus today. In relation to this primary calling, all the rest is secondary. I do want to touch a little bit, however, on the secondary calling, because if we are to live stagnant in our primary calling and say, I'm called to be the beloved and I'm called to follow Christ, uh, that could be a way of masking any real direction in our lives Um, After all, there is a saying that the easiest ship to turn is the ship that is already moving. Uh, The ship that is dead in the water is quite difficult to turn. And if we want to just stay stagnant in this primary place, that's that's not, um, as much as it is vital and grounding for us, it can also be a form of denial. It's possible. Uh, That's been my own experience. Um, But before we talk about secondary callings, let me get back to the primary calling, the call to follow Christ. I left off in the last episode sharing my own story about how I heard the words soundlessly, yet forcefully in my heart, Wayne, I love you. And I talked about how I would die for whoever said that to me. And, you know, you can call me easy, you can call me a pushover, But that was exactly what I needed to hear in that time in my life. And it's forever grounded me since. The depth of gratitude came out in very warm tears. Uh, Gratitude to this divine presence that I was experiencing existentially, unmistakably, and irrefutably. And it became foundational, strong enough to withstand all the vicissitudes of life that I've gone through since then. At the time, all I could respond with were the words, Thank you, Lord. What will you have me do? Will you commission me now with some kind of task or some kind of special esoteric calling? The secondary calling was what I was seeking. But he was not yet done with the primary calling. Wayne, I love you, dot, dot, dot. And you can guess what came next. The words that followed were not what I expected to hear. I expected a task, some kind of special commissioning or something. But I heard only the words, will you follow me? 
Will you follow me? Compelling and yet so incomplete. I held my breath there for a second, wondering if there was more. Follow you where, Lord? Follow you to what? To do what? And yet, that's when the voice stopped. In some sense, it it stopped for a really long time. I love you. Will you follow me? I was able to rest deeply in those words, and, and I was able to drink deeply of those words because it provided me with everything that I needed, just enough instruction to be grounded on the things that mattered. Will you follow me? In time, greater specificity would come. But at that moment, it was a tremendous honor. While I had friends left and right who were feeling called to this church or to that type of work or to this ministry or to that marketplace, I was called to follow Christ and that could lead me anywhere. You can hear the chip on my shoulder there again, almost a sense of jealousy that I felt called to even greater things. After all, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, Are they servants of Christ? I more so. Why? Because I am called the beloved, and I am called to follow. And that could take me anywhere. Ah, those words, anywhere. And that's the thing. That would end up being the rest of my life, and there's much to tell there. Indeed, that would become the rest of my story, which I will share with you here in a moment. But let me just pause to say that this foundational calling, it is the premier calling before every other specific secondary calling. So much so that if we never received another call, or if for whatever reason our callings were removed from us, and you know that can happen. That can happen. Secondary callings can be removed from us. But even if that were to happen, this foundational calling to be the beloved and to follow Christ means you would still be called no matter what. You could lose other callings. Yes, we could, either by a twist of fate or by by error on our part. Yes, it is possible to lose secondary callings. But even if that happened, keep in mind, you would still be called you would be called to be the beloved and to follow Christ. Now that said, secondary callings are important and I've held off as long as I can, but I think it is important for us now to talk about how this call to follow should naturally lead to secondary callings. You see, for me, I drew it out as long as I could in a state of stagnancy. And it was almost as if Christ was saying, okay, Wayne, it's been a number of years. It's time for you to move out of the basement. It's time for this ship to get out of harbor. I understand that you want to live in this first love identity, but you can't stay here. And that's when something really began to happen. Yes, I was grounded as his beloved, and I was going to follow. But I was going to follow right there in Queens, New York, in my home Korean church community. Isn't that enough, Christ? Why do I have to take these words, follow you, so seriously that it would mean going beyond that? 
And the problem is, as I began to uh, live into those first callings, I also began to read the scripture deeply. Uh, Lectio Divina was something that was happening to me even before I even knew it was a thing, and you'll learn about Lectio Divina. I began to meditate on two stories in particular in Scripture, one from the New Testament, one from the Old. The Old Testament story was the call of Abraham, the call to leave home and to follow or, or to go where God would reveal to him. It was something where Abraham didn't even know what was next. That was, that was inspiring and simultaneously unnerving because that's exactly where I was. Christ was saying, follow me. Where? Just follow me. In the same way, God was telling Abraham, go. Go where? To the land that I will show you. Okay. The second story that really began to mess with me was the story of the rich young ruler in the Gospels, in the New Testament. And goodness, this was a story that I could relate to in many ways. I identified on so many levels um, the, the relative, you know, first world wealth. Uh, not that I come from a wealthy family by any means, but being stable, coming from a place of security, wealthy in a sense, but also the earnestness of this young man who's coming to Christ and saying, I've kept all these commandments. What do I still lack? The deep spiritual searching and the desire. That was me. I was the rich young ruler. And yet, as you may or may not know, the story turns out where Christ turns this young man away because he couldn't make the ultimate sacrifice. Someone who could have been a follower, someone who could have been named among the 12 disciples could not follow. And that was the beginning, uh, probably the first crisis of faith that I had um, in this new world of being called to follow Christ. And so as I began to feel this calling, um, just like Abraham, I knew it was a calling from, but not to. I didn't know where to, but I definitely began to feel this disturbing call from home. Goodness, I was 20. Where was I going to go? I know that I was being shown a new world in university, in New York City, that's as big of a world as it, as can be. I mean, couldn't I just stay in New York, Lord, and, and just follow you here? This is as pluralistic a context as any. But again, this repeated nagging call to not just leave my home community, the, the Korean church, and, but to leave home, to leave New York, to leave everything that I knew behind. It finally happened. I was finally confronted with that same existential choice that I began to be confronted with back at the New School for social research. In some ways, nothing was wasted. Everything I was learning in my philosophy classes, everything I was exposed to that, this is no longer just your small Amish village in your small country town. You are now beginning to see bigger things, not just in terms of a plurality of cultures and contexts and places, but a, a plurality of worldviews. Can your faith really survive now in a bigger, larger world, was the question. 
And frankly, the longer I denied that or I delayed that, it was nothing more than a cop-out. It was a cop-out because truth be told, and as I admitted in my last episode, I was afraid, afraid of anything bigger, bigger than my world. And finally, it hit the fan. I had to confront what was out there. It was a matter of discipleship. It was a matter of courage. Okay, Lord, I'll go out there. I'll follow tomorrow. (laughs) I kept putting it off. I remember a very real sense of putting it off, much like Jonah. And we're going to talk about Jonah in a couple of episodes here. I was, in a sense, sinking deeper and deeper into my own darkness as I delayed my secondary call. Again, I didn't know where to. I just knew it was from. One more thing. I had the unshakable feeling that this call to leave home, this call from home and everything I knew, I had a sense or a very strong sense that it would not be temporary. I can't describe how. I just knew it would be permanent. And that part has come true. That's come true. So here's how the story goes. And it's a true story. It's my own. And it is the one miraculous event in my life. I've experienced several miracles. This was the first. I decided to duke it out with God in a night of prayer. And goodness, I was so involved in my Korean church. I had my own key. I was a church mouse. I lived in the small confines of my community, and and I was a doorkeeper. And I remember it was a fateful Friday night many, many years ago. Uh, This was before 2000, and everything was changing in my life, in the world, it seemed. And the church was empty that night. Oftentimes, there was a lot going on in the Korean church, many nights, many, many nights of the week. But this one night, this Friday evening, no one was there. It was empty, and I went to church alone. Unlocked the door, locked it behind me. This is New York, after all. And I hold myself up in a small upper room. Small, goodness, like a closet. The printer, nothing, nothing was in there except me and the, and the copy machine, the printer. And alone in this room, small closet, I prayed. I got on my knees, and I began to wrestle with God. And I said, okay, Lord, Christ, I'll follow you. But New York is as pluralistic of a place. Why can't I just follow you in mission here? I'll follow you into the marketplace here. Heck, if you want me in the ministry, I'll follow you there too. I'm glad. I, that's what I wanted, to follow Christ into the ministry. I'll do that here. But what, why all this stuff about having to leave home? Why are you confronting me like that? Frankly, just leave that part alone, Christ. I'll follow you. Okay? The end. Amen. Got up to leave, go home, 20 minutes. I didn't feel the peace in my heart. Okay, back on my knees, wrestle some more. Time goes by, and I wrestle, and I just continually get the sense he is not going to leave me alone. He wants me to leave from. Why? Why are you compelling, Christ? Why are you compelling me to leave home? Why can't I just stay home in Queens? 
And on and on it went until finally I surrendered. And I said, all right, let's make a deal. That's what I said. Let's make a deal, Lord. Because you call me to be the beloved, you need to promise me that wherever it is that I'm going, and I don't know where it's going to be, even if it's permanent, if you're there, if you are there, I will go there. If that's where you are, that's where I want to be. That's how I was able to find a way through my thinking. I knew that there was only one thing that I loved more than my father and my mother and my home and my family and my community, and that was Christ. There was only one thing that I loved more than all those things, my, my home, and it was Christ. And if my greatest love was out there, wherever there is, then be with me there, Christ, and I will follow you, my first love, wherever that is. The peace finally began to flood over me because I accepted the call to leave. And that is when the first miracle of my life, um, tangible that I experienced, that's when something miraculous happened. Strange, um, but comforting. And it involved something audible. I, I know I'm talking about hearing the voice of God in your heart and existentially, no, I heard something. I heard something. It was audible. And it was, it was making a scratching noise above my head in this small closet. Low ceiling, by the way. And the ceiling of the closet was like that, that kind of tile ceiling uh, that you'll see in offices, um, the kind of tile that you could lift up, and then there's like crawl space or there's ventilation. Um, I don't know what you call that, but anyway, there, there was this, this tiled ceiling, and there was something scratching above my head, scratching noises. And I started to freak out. This was like 10 p.m. at night, alone in a building in New York. And the dust from that tile was beginning to, to pepper my hair. And I got up, and I, I started to kind of freak out. And that's when whatever was up there began to break through. A bird had gotten into the ceiling or into the crawl space or whatever that is above our heads in these buildings. And a bird of all places, it's, it's, it's a sizable building, uh, I don't know, maybe 40,000 square feet. And of all places in this building, the bird was right above my head in that small closet where I was praying. The bird broke through the ceiling and at this point, and it fell to the ground and it was flying around and I was freaking out. I was freaking out. I was scared. I was, this creature is flapping around, trying to fly and hitting the walls. I opened the door of the, 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 the copy machine closet and the bird flew out into the hallway and I saw it make a straight beeline for what it thought was open air turned out to be a window. And smack, that bird hit that thing hard. The bird fell to the ground and got up and looked for another open air. It went flying straight into a, a floor-to-ceiling mirror. 
and then on and on, looking for freedom, looking for air, looking for a way out of this church, the, the bird flew and flew and disappeared down the corridor. In that instant, I knew that I had experienced a miracle. And I knew that God was saying, Wayne, if that bird doesn't leave this place, it's going to die. If that bird doesn't leave, it's going to die. Please do not mistake what I'm saying as uh, a refutation of the church in any way. I'm not saying you're supposed to leave the church. In fact, today, more than ever, oh goodness, and this is another story, more than ever, I feel called to stay put in a particular church context. I feel called more than ever. So these secondary callings, they, they evolve. And it, it's a lot of discernment that goes into this. For me to even be able to say what I just said, I want you to know that that didn't come easily or with some burning bush. That came after many, many sessions and, and a little bit of money as well uh, with my spiritual director. A lot of processing. But back then, uh, I don't think it was so much a call to leave the church as much as it was a call to leave home and what I considered home. Really, the church was my home. If someone does not let that bird out, it's going to die. And you want to know what's crazy? It took me another two years to move my you-know-what. I mean, talk about Jonah sinking deeper and deeper into depression. And we'll talk about that in episodes to come, but that's exactly what happened. Because I did not move immediately, I sank into a severe depression. Uh, at that young age, unfortunately, uh, I was familiar to the, to the pangs and the dips and the ups and downs of probably what would have been diagnosed as a bipolar, maybe even a manic depressiveness. And that was the last significant depression um, I experienced. But I took it as the warning sign because, goodness, I knew if I lingered any longer, I was going to die. I remember during that time of two years where I delayed a conversation I had with a friend and he, he told me, Wayne, it, it seems like you're in denial. You're in denial of something. And I remember my response, which was the most quick-witted response I ever gave in my life. I wish I was like this in every, every situation. And, and I, I, said, I said something that was so spiritual and so right, and yet at the same time so wrong. So he says, Wayne, you're in denial. It seems like you're in denial. And I said, but we're called to deny ourselves, aren't we? We're called to deny ourselves and take up our cross. Uh, no, no. That's what I would say to a younger Wayne. No, you just sound like you're chicken. You just sound like you're delaying something that needs to happen. You just sound like you want to stay comfort, com uh, in, your, in your comfort zone and you want to remain stagnant. It's no surprise that this significant depression set in. Long story short, it was literally with the turn of the millennium, 1999 into the, into the year 2000, um, I, I packed up my entire life into a little Toyota Corolla and I drove cross country and I said goodbye to New York for the last time as a resident. 
2000, this is 2023, 23 years, and I have not returned home as a permanent resident. Of course, I've gone home as, as you know, on a, you know, to visit and stuff, but I'm a tourist now. I'm ashamed to say, you know, anybody who walks into New York, you know, you don't want to be a tourist. You want it, but I'm a tourist. It's not my home anymore. That part has indeed come true. And the move, it was permanent. It became the rest of my life. And I'll never forget that cross-country drive from New York to Seattle. Uh, my first step and my first assignment was with Youth with a Mission. And I, I did my uh, discipleship training school out there. Um, actually, I started with uh, at, at the Montana base. Um, from the skyscrapers of New York to the Rocky Mountains of Montana, goodness, I arrived in a snowstorm. I remember and a, a, a Christian hippie picked me up at the airport. It's just crazy. The rest of my life began that fateful, that fateful uh, winter in 2000. And then after that, that was the decision to to join Youth of the Mission, and that's when I packed everything into my Corolla and made the drive out west for good. Talk about go west, young man. That was my call. Today, 23 years later in retrospect, it was the hardest decision I ever had to make. It was the most important and vital decision I've ever had to make. I learned to confront this thing called denial, and I learned to listen to the still small voice inside, to pay attention to it, as well as my own needs, my own desires and longing. Listen to that carefully, to listen to my desires and longings. You're, you're going to need to learn how to do this. This is the Ignatian way, the Jesuit practice of reverencing your desires. We're going to talk about that more in episodes to come. And I learned to do that, and I learned to do it well enough such that I've never had to get depressed again. I'm serious. I know some people will struggle with depression lifelong. And for whatever reason God saw fit, he sought to deliver me from depression at least for the last 23 years. And I thank God for that. I thank God. It's the worst feeling in the world um, Actually, Parker Palmer uh, is on the suggested reading list. Parker Palmer, um, in his book, Let Your Life Speak, talks significantly about this experience. But this, um, this, this liberation from those plunges truly uh, is one of the greatest gifts I've ever received. So in many ways... Uh, I identify with the prophet Jonah and plunging into deeper and deeper and darker places and having to be delivered from that by a call, a call to follow. So this call to follow, it evolves into a secondary calling, as you can see. That from the willingness to just follow Christ, from there births these secondary callings into things that are specific, such that today, in a sense, I can only tell you that my secondary callings have become clear to me in retrospect, that we follow Christ to the best of our ability today, and more will be revealed. More is being revealed. So 
while I'm telling you it is vital for you to be established in your foundational primary calling, at the same time, I want to warn you that as good and as blessed of a state that that is, you, you can't stay there forever. There is specificity. There is the need for clarity in your secondary callings. To deny that could be a, a, almost a stagnancy or a form of denial that could potentially be dangerous to your soul. After all, as I've said, a ship that is moving is easier to turn around than one that is quite simply dead in the water. So learn to discern, learn to listen to your consolations and your longings, even your desires. Learn this. Through this class, we'll be talking about all of the above. And whether you get clarity or not, the work of discernment, it will be ongoing. This class will give you tools to begin that journey. And it will be a lifelong journey, I promise you that. In the end, may your travails, your discernings, your seekings, may they all come together, may they coalesce at this moment as you are seeking to follow Christ with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. May you discover vocation. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to learn more, visit us online at www.oikonomics.com. That's O-I-K-O-N-O-M-I-K-S dot com.